What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Obviously, I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you for another hour and a half to two hours of your work week. Thank you so much for rocking with me. And man, we've got an amazing show for you lined up this week. A sad story as it pertains to DeMarcus Cousins, but does his situation affect how other NBA players will now evaluate turning down money at their first opportunity. We're going to discuss that. Plus, the rise and possible fall of Netflix. How can they withstand a growing tide against them? We're going to break down all of that and so much more, but y'all already know where we're starting with topic number one this week. First quarter. Uh-oh. Fuck Jay-Z. What's up, Ziggin? Yeah. Yo, I know you ain't talk about me, dog. It's getting ugly out this game. You been on my it's getting dick, real it's ugly. Uh, Jay-Z. Uh, I fuck with your soul like ether. Well. Teach you the king, you know you. Nah. God's son across the belly. Lose. I prove you lost the rest. Brace uh. yourself for the main event. Y'all impatiently waiting. It's Let me just start things test. off by saying. I have a far greater appreciation. And I've always loved ether. But Slim... Ether has become far more relevant, what, 18 years later? Ether came out in 2001, right? And here we are almost two decades later, and these words ring so true. It's so profound. For those of you who all who don't know, and actually, you know what? I'm not even going to do that, because if you're listening to this podcast, I can't imagine you not understanding what Ether has to do with this quarter, this topic. And this topic, of course, being Jay-Z, right? Now, Jay-Z's got some crazy stands. They're not on the level of Drake stands, meaning they're not teenage girls who will scratch you to death. And they're not on the level of Eminem fans, you know, uh, energy drinkers who do like extreme sports and have really bad acne. <laughs> Nah, they're not on that scale. And they damn sure ain't the Beehive. I don't even like speaking of them. I've never had to cross paths with the Beehive before. I never plan on doing so. But I have run into Drake fans. You know, the teenage girls from Canada, they do mount up. At just the mere mention of Pusha T. You know, it's almost like the bat signal. They they hear that and they're ready to, to go on this long diatribe about music that they probably don't know much about. They don't know anything before So Far Gone. Eminem fans, will re- they are like the insane clown posse. What the Bama's called? The Juggalos? <laughs> the Bama's is nuts. And when it comes to M, you got the, you got the crazy Bama's, but then because M is from Detroit and he actually is really, really nice, you got some hood, you got some hood Bama's who ready to ride for M too. So you gotta be careful, you know, when M stands come around, right? Because they're liable to shoot up the block or to, you know, just go nuts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And have like a, you know, like, yeah. M fans are nuts. Let's just leave it at that. But J fans, they are a different type because they don't mount up like M or Drake or even Beyonce. They, they have, they're established. 
and they're prominent and they are people who was oftentimes with a lot of power. And you've seen that the last week where people have tried to criticize Jay, but they do it with kitty gloves, right? So let me make this perfectly clear. Against my better judgment, I am willing to shoot Jay-Z some bail over this uh, union he has with the NFL, mainly Roger uh, Goodell. I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. However, I don't care if you are the biggest Jay-Z stand on this earth. We all have to agree. I will extend the olive branch. I will. But we got to be honest. We got to be honest. This joint don't smell right. We could all agree on that. I am waiting. I'm willing, I should say, to have a wait and see approach. Maybe Jay can flip the whole game. Maybe he can. I am not writing it off. But damn it, if I'm not going to be willing, I'm not going to sit here and talk to anybody acting like this is just regular degla. Nah, it's not. For those of you who do not know, Jay-Z is now a partner. He ain't a partner. Jay-Z works for the NFL. He works for the NFL and Rock Nation in terms of entertainment for the NFL. I do not have the official title, but essentially, this is what Jay-Z is, right? He provides entertainment for the NFL and all of their um, large attractions, not limited to the Super Bowl, but specifically, obviously, the Super Bowl and Super Bowl weekend. Bomb. Jay-Z also is a part of this new social justice coalition. Again, I do not know the exact terminology, what the title, the official title is, but he has a part in terms of social justice within the NFL. None of that is wrong. On his face, all of that is cool. Like, if Jay-Z wants to provide entertainment for the NFL, I got no problem with that. I wasn't one of the people who got mad at Big Boy and Jermaine Dupree and everybody who was performing at the Super Bowl. That, like, nah. If you want to, the Super Bowl is a really big... The NFL is a huge entity, and the largest thing that the NFL puts on each year is the Super Bowl. So I get it. I had no problems with anybody performing. And if Jay-Z wants to be involved with the NFL in terms of the entertainment aspect, I got no problem with that. If Jay-Z wants to be a part of the NFL's, whatever you want to call it, the social initiative, you know, I don't have a problem with anybody wanting to help. But I question the 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 decision making, right? Like, why? What has the NFL done over the past few years that makes you think that they genuinely care? We could go down the line. We've got multiple owners. It was my man in Carolina had to sell the team because of making racist and then treating, you know, women uh, employees in a sexual abusive relationship, right? The my man, I think he may have passed now. The Texans old owner, God bless the dead, but he was like yeah, the inmates running or the yeah the inmates running the prison or whatever. Like all these different owners, all of them were ready to capitulate and cow tip to the president when he called people who took knees sons of bitches. This happened like two years ago. You couldn't have forgotten. So yeah. I got pause for anybody who's like, yo, I'm going to work with the NFL to help better social justices, right? I question your logic and your, I question how naive you are. 
honestly. But whatever, if that's what Jay-Z wants to do, bong, it's cool. The problem I have is that Jay-Z was wearing the Colin Kaepernick shirt, like a jersey, last year on Saturday Night Live. So how we get from that to this? Jay-Z, if you listen to him during his press conference, he's like, yo, the, the kneeling is cool. He didn't even say, he didn't even say kneeling. He was like, that was cool. That's the necessary part. But now it's time to put action to it. And I'm thinking to myself, motherfucker, who are you? Who are you supposed to be? Like, don't diminish, don't dismiss what Colin Kaepernick, Kenny Stills, Eric Reed, and countless other players, not to mention people who have seen these players take knees and countless other citizens putting feet to the ground, hands in the dirt, and really doing things frontline in their respective communities. Like the idea that all Kaepernick has done was take a knee is insane and insulting. Everybody should be pissed off. If, if you care about Colin Kaepernick, and I don't care what you feel about Jay-Z, again, I'm willing to shoot him bail. But when he opened up his mouth and was like, yo, now what? We, we passed protest, now what? As if all Colin Kaepernick has done was protest is insane to me. And it's beyond insulting. Because not only did Colin Kaepernick protest, right? He didn't put his money where his mouth was. He didn't built upon and he lost his career. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So let's, you know what? Let's just scientifically, systematically break down why Jay-Z seems incredibly foolish at best or at worst and naive at best. You criticize Colin Kaepernick for just saying, oh, we, or not criticize, but it was a backhanded compliment or very dismissive to be like, you know what? Protests are cool. This is not about a job. The only people who are making it about a job are the NFL, the people you just got in bed with. The idea that it's some type of ultimatum that Colin Kaepernick knew that protesting because of social injustices, right? Because of police brutality, not just physical contact, but also uh, psychological abuse, right? Emotional abuse that goes on in black and brown communities via the police in this country, right? The idea that Colin Kaepernick had to lose his job just to highlight that. Colin Kaepernick, remember, people got to make sure we remember, like, history is funny in terms of how we write it. Colin Kaepernick didn't ask to be put on camera. Colin Kaepernick was sitting down for several weeks before someone asked him and noticed, yo, why weren't you standing for the national anthem? He didn't volunteer that information. Nobody was speaking to him. He went about his, his, went about his business. He was the backup quarterback at the time. Someone asked him why he did not stand, and then he told everybody, and that became a lightning rod. Colin Kaepernick has never sought out, sought out the cameras. He still doesn't speak to this day. He gets his message across. He has let everyone know that he is still training. He won a settlement. And this is another thing. You, you stands for Jay-Z. Now keep on bringing up the settlement. The settlement was only because the NFL, right, had clearly there was some damning evidence against the NFL that they went out of their way to blackball him. So again, the job is the job isn't about this is not about the job. No. 
The only people who keep on making it about the job are the NFL, the people that Jay-Z is working for now. So when Jay-Z gets up there sitting all chummy chummy next to Roger Goodell, I'm like, no, this is not about a job. All right. So why is he not employed yet? <laughs> it's a simple question. If it's not about the job, then why does the NFL continue continually not employ someone who clearly deserves to be on a preseason roster? They made a message out of Colin Kaepernick. And if you don't see it and don't understand it now, you're a fool. A bigger fool than Jay-Z appears to be right now. So that's off the rip. You are insulting Colin Kaepernick and people who look up to him and people who have followed him by saying all he did is protest when that's not the case. All Kenny, Kenny Stills does not just protest. Eric Reed does not just protest. Colin Kaepernick does not just protest. And the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who look up to Colin Kaepernick and have actually put forth the effort to better police and community relationships, to better inform the community about their rights, the Know Your Rights campaign, all of these things that have grown exponentially since Colin Kaepernick started these protests. For Jay-Z to be like, yo, it's time now to put, put forth action. Man, shut your ass up, man. That's what really pissed me off. And then the reports come out, yo, Jay-Z is actually looking forward to owning an NFL team. And then I go back to Ether. As soon as that, as soon as that report came out, the first words that came out of my that came to mind from the poet Nasir Jones was sad as I love you, because you're my brother. You traded your soul for riches from Ether. And I was like, ain't that some shit? 18 years later, it's the same thing. You go from wearing a Colin Kaepernick jersey. On Saturday Night Live, a huge platform, to a year later, said, yo, we passed protests. Now it's time to put forth action. You go for it. You go from a year ago saying, you don't need the NFL. The NFL needs you. To sitting next to Roger Goodell. <laughs> Roger Goodell. Talking that shit. Talking about it's not about a job. Asking people, do you know what it was for? Do you know what it's? I'm thinking, I'm looking at myself like, bro, what, what did they do to you? And that's my bad. That's my bad. Because the NFL didn't do a damn thing to Jay Z, Sean Carter, whatever the case. They didn't do a damn thing. Jay has told us from the jump what he is all about. I'm a businessman. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. Let me handle my business. Damn. Remember that? What was the line? And I, I'm not even going to rhyme it because I don't remember. But it was like, I would love to rhyme like common sense. But you don't make money. And it doesn't make sense. Something like that. Right? I forget. It was on the, off the Black Album. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He's made it a point to, to let all of us know he is fueled by money. And I'm not mad at him. This is capitalism at its finest. If that's what you want to do, do it. Ride out. But don't give me this whole black power we all about creating. Y'all motherfuckers killing me, man. We, we are what? A month removed from Tyler Perry talking about we are creating our own table. 
right? We have, we have to create our own table. We have to create our own avenues. It will not be given. We don't need to see at their table. We make our own. And everybody applauded Tyler Perry's powerful message, right? At, when the album, A Seat at the Table, came out, everybody loved Master P's interlude where he's talking about, yo, they offered me this much, and I knew how much I was worth. If these white people are willing to offer me this much money, ba da 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 right? We all applaud that. Jay-Z go link up with the NFL, and it's like, yo, we got to change from the inside. We need a seat at the table. Man, if y'all don't make up y'all damn minds, you sound crazy. And don't think I forgot. Don't think I forgot about the ownership thing, right? Because this is one part that gets lost. We know Jay-Z loves the idea of being an owner. Remember early 2000s, 2001, 2002, 2003? Oh, the Nets. Jay-Z's going to be an owner of the Nets. He's moving the Nets to Brooklyn. Remember that? And then it came out that he had like this very, very small, very, very, very small stake in the Nets. But they used him. They played him. They used Jay-Z as the front, right? Because Jay-Z loves Brooklyn. Everything you hear about Jay, Jay Brooklyn, Brooklyn Jay-Z, Brooklyn, we go hard. Marcy Projects, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, this, Brooklyn, that, Jay-Z, Jiggerman, Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn. Do I need to tell you about how massive the gentrification has hit that borough since since Barclays, since the Nets moved? Do I need to illustrate to you how massive, how many number of people have been displaced, the massive amounts of gentrification that has happened to Brooklyn since Jay-Z took that, wore that hat, do I gotta wake? Do I? I don't. I don't think I gotta spell it out to y'all, right? Either Jay Z got played. He was the face. He was the front. People love Jay Z. People in Brooklyn adore Jay Z, and rightfully so. This is not me knocking Jay. I'm only trying to speak facts. You let me know where I'm wrong. You let me know. I don't think so. Jay Z is an icon. And our culture, not just in Brooklyn, for all of us. That's why this thing so much. He wears the hat. People are proud of him. People are excited. All we hear is, yo, Jay-Z is going to be owning the Nets. We don't know that it's like less than 2%. Jay-Z is going to own the Nets. She's moving the team to Brooklyn. Oh, my God. Yes. 15 years later. Look at the... Look at the demographics of Brooklyn. All those people who believed in Jay, grew up like Jay, listened to Jay, want to be like Jay. They're out of their home. The same Brooklyn that he says he loves. They out of there because they can't afford to. They can't afford to stay. So either Jay knew he was part of that. He knew that everybody was going to get ran out of there, out of town. He knew about gentrification. He knew about being all the displacement that was going to happen to his beloved Brooklyn. And he signed off on it. And I don't think that that's what happened. I don't think he knew that this was going to, I don't think he even paid it. I don't think he had an idea. I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to accuse him of that, but it's either that or he got played. The idea of being an owner, even a small stake of an ownership was so enticing, enamored him so much 
that he was jumped at the opportunity and then realizing after the fact that, yo, I was a front to something because these people could not, you could not complain about Brett Ratner and Mikhail Prokhorov displacing all these black people at the time because everybody was excited about Jay. Jay was the front. He was the front. Jay-Z's moving the team to Brooklyn. And we realized years later, oh shit, all these people in Brooklyn had to leave because the Barclays is now up. This is the same thing. Shout out to Kevin Blackstone because he was the one who, who brought the attention to my eyes. I'm like, oh damn, we've we seen this before. Jay is so, in, he, he is so excited about being an owner of a professional sports team. And I get it. I would love to be an owner of a team. He's enamored with this idea so much that given the opportunity, he will jump at it. Damn the consequences. So we saw it. If he, were, if he was willing to do that for Brooklyn, the borough that he loves so much, and I know, like, whatever. We know Jay loves Brooklyn. We know that. But look at what happened with the Nets and Brooklyn. So if he was willing to do that to Brooklyn, what you think he's going to do to Colin Kaepernick? He don't give a damn about Colin Kaepernick. And if you don't, that's whatever. I'm not even mad at you if you don't care. If Jay-Z does not care about Cap, cool. But why are you wearing the jersey? You're trying to be exploit. You're exploiting the situation. And then when you get up there next to Roger Goodell, you dismiss, right? And you diminish that man's work. Come on now. Come on, y'all. Hey, call a thing a thing. Call a thing a thing, bro. Damn it. That's going to be the title of this episode. Call a thing a thing. I'm so sick of people. And it's in every aspect of our life now in American society where people who have the platform, people who should know better are scared or are not willing to call a thing a thing. Journalists at the most respected institutions in this country. We talk about the Post, the Times. Wall Street, they just, they won't call it. They won't call it out. And then they, they look around when all of the information, all of the data, and I'm talking like real life now, not just sports. White supremacy is on the rise. Oh, really? But we still won't call race. We, we just now come into calling people white nationalists. Now, fuck that, they racist. Call a thing a thing. I'm not going to ever call someone. I don't like the term sellout. I don't, I don't like that. That's negative. And I will never call Jay because this is the thing. Jay has done some really dope stuff. He has done some really, really dope stuff for the community. And this is the biggest thing. I hope he understands how important he is, how important his family is to an entire community of people. Dog. I know you want the legacy. I know you are enamored with this idea of owning a professional team, whatever. It's weird, bro, but whatever. Again, I'd love to have a team, but not, but at what cost? What is the cost? Are you, what are you willing to give up to attain this goal? You understand what I'm saying? I hope that he understands how important he is to a it's countless number of individuals because it's not just music. It's not just a team and it's not just Colin Kaepernick, man. 
Because history is littered with people, black people, who are looked up to, right? Who are in many ways idolized, who have been popped up and like looked on as like, yo, you made it. You are the success story. I want to be like you. And somewhere along the line, rich people get them to do their bidding. And the legacy is ruined. Jay, Jay is, man, Jay grew into an amazing, and, and again, I'm, I gotta be, I gotta be fair. I don't know how this plays out. And again, against my better judgment, I am willing to extend the benefit of the doubt to Jay-Z. I am. But it don't smell right, bro. And it don't feel good. When he gets up there and diminishes what Colin Kaepernick has done, that's that's nasty. Why are you doing that? They ask you about Kaepernick. Like, look, I salute Colin Kaepernick. I I admire what he's done and what he has sacrificed. And what I am trying to do is make sure we continue that work. That's all he has to say. What you up there saying, oh, man, this is not about a job. The only people making it about a job are the people you are now in bed with. Because if it's not about a job, he would be playing. Why are you up there saying, oh, it's time to move past the protest. We off that now. Now it's time to put work. As if he's not working. And all these other people who have been inspired by him are not currently working. Who the fuck are you? Jay-Z? And then, if you if that wasn't enough, bro, it comes out that Jermaine Dupree, and he has confirmed it now, that Jermaine Dupree says that he was offered a similar deal with the NFL to provide entertainment and to help out with social justice, right? And Jay-Z told him not to take it. So hold on, bro. You, last year, tell Travis Scott not to perform at the Super Bowl. You, last year, on a record with your wife, I don't need the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl needs me. You last year wear Colin Kaepernick's jersey on Saturday Night Live, and now it comes out that you last year told a contemporary of yours not to take the same deal or a similar deal. I'm sure the NFL is paying Jay-Z more money than they would have paid Jermaine Dupree, obviously. But a similar deal, you tell him, don't take it, and then you turn around and take it. Man, what's going on? Make it make sense to me. There's a legion of Jay-Z fans who will never want to, who never want to hear it, who never want to believe that their icon, their idol, could be on some fuck shit. Guess what? <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but all signs point to fuck shit. It's all point, dog. I'm looking at the navigation system. I'm looking at the GPS. I'm looking at the compass. All the motherfuckers are pointing right at him. He's like, hey, bro. Make it make sense to me. And also, this is also another very, very important thing for all of the people who are saying, yo, he's got a seat at the table. Yo, look at Jay-Z, man, he's making power moves. He got, now he has the opportunity. You got to change things from within. Answer me this one question. Why does Jay-Z need the NFL? Seriously, what doors 
are the NFL opening up to Jay-Z that he could not open up himself. Jay-Z is one of the most influential figures in American society. He's a billionaire. He is a billionaire, extremely influential, extremely successful, has the ear of an entire generation of people, powerful young people. Why does he need the NFL? That's number one. Number two, why would you trust the NFL? Number three, why are you wearing Colin Kaepernick's jersey just to then a year later, sitting right next to Roger Goodell, be like, hey, we off that. It's bigger than a job. Make that make sense to me. Because it's not adding up. Don't tell me six plus two is 39. Stop it. Stop it. He means so much to a lot of people. His family, he and his wife, their union means so much to an entire group of people. And yo, I'm going to be funky with you. I was reading a book earlier this summer that was talking about powerful people, right? It was about empires. I, I told you guys a few weeks ago I wasn't going to do this, but this is spur of the moment. I really, <laughs> I did not mean to go off on this tangent because had I done so, had I known I was going to do it, I would have wrote this information down so I could big up the book and the author. It was really dope. It's about empires and powerful people, men specifically, rich, powerful men. And it was saying so often rich, powerful individuals are in a, in a chase for their legacy. They're just in such a hurry to leave a legacy. And the thing is that we have to remember is that your legacy isn't written or sometimes it is written when everything is finished. But more times than not, your legacy is being written as you chase your goal, as you chase whatever it is that you're trying to attain. So Jay-Z clearly wants to be an owner. He wants to be an owner of a sports team. And he wanted to be a billionaire. And all of these things are true. And there, there will be a large chunk of his legacy written whenever he attains this. But he's missing out the part of the legacy that was written during the book Brooklyn Nets move, the move to the Brooklyn and the gentrification process where he was the front, where they put him up there, they propped him up. Hey, Jay-Z's the owner. And they kicked all these black people out of the borough that he loved so much. That's part of his legacy. Part of his legacy will be written whenever he gets his NFL team. And I'm sure he's going to get one at some point. How much ownership he will have remains to be seen. But I'm sure his name will be associated with an ownership group of an NFL team. But what he's missing out is the part of his legacy that will be written and is being written right now, this process. And it's clear he did not know the temperature of the room. I'm sure he was surprised at the level of backlash that he is still getting. But I think it's also interesting, man, because I remember not too long driving in the car with my sister not too long ago and fronting the song with, you know, Pharrell came on. And then, you know, Jay-Z's rapping and he's like, you know, I'm ready to stop when you are. And at the time, people knew he was talking about Beyonce, but they weren't official with it. It was like real, you know, cute, cute. Oh, they, they act like they in high school. Everybody knew they was an item, but they were playing it like they was sneaking around. Whatever, right? They grown, you know, whatever, whatever. But I, I remember that line. I'm thinking to my sister. I remember talking to my sister. I was like, yo, it's crazy that when this song came out, Jay was the way bigger star than Beyonce. That song came out, what? I don't know. I'm bad with years now. But I'm assuming 
15, 16 years ago now, right? Here we are, 2019. His wife is by far the bigger star, right? I'm not talking about who has the most money, who's this, no, no, no. I'm just talking about the bigger star. Beyonce far is a far bigger star than Jay-Z is now. And I got to think, man, and I'm not, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze, but I'm like, bro, what is this? Your legacy has built you the first hip-hop billionaire. You, you, you are extremely beneficial. He did the Kareem Browder store. The, I mean, they're doing so much great work without the NFL. He didn't need the NFL. His lines, not mine. He said it. He said he's bigger than the NFL. He don't need the NFL. Not me. Take his word for it. So it got me thinking. I'm like, man, so why the 180? And I, bro, this book is like, yo, really, really powerful, successful, rich, wealthy men have these deep insecurities, particularly when it comes to women. And it's like, yo, maybe he is insecure by his wife's success. You've got all this money. You got all this influence. You got all this power. And you're going back on all of these things. It doesn't make sense. Oh, but maybe he has a, he feeling away because his wife is so popular. His wife is so influential. His wife is so important. More so than he is now in many ways. Maybe that's what's causing this complete 180. Maybe it's a midlife crisis. I don't know, bro. Again, make it make sense to me. Somebody. I'm begging you. Because if I just told you what happened in 2018 and then we jumped into DeLorean and then we landed right here, August, whatever day you're listening to this podcast, 2019, and you're like, hold on, Jay's working with Roger Goodell? Hold on, Jay called out Colin Kaepernick? Hold on, Jay told Jermaine Dupree and Travis Scott not to do this, but then he ended up doing the same thing? It don't smell right. It doesn't smell right. And I don't care how popular he is. I don't care how great his music is. I don't care how much you may love somebody. Call a thing a thing. Jay-Z looking real funny right now. Real funny. Real funny. Changing from the inside. How many owners do you think Jay-Z is going to change the mind of? You think Jerry Jones gives a damn what Jay-Z has to say about social justice? Jerry Jones told all his players, y'all better not take a knee. He told all his players, and none of them did it until Jerry Jones told him it was okay. And then when Jerry Jones told them boys it was okay to take a knee, guess who was looking right at the camera on his knee, winking? Jerry. You think Jerry Jones give a damn about Jay-Z? What type of change do you think Jay-Z is going to make from within the NFL? Y'all... Jay-Z is not going to ever hear this podcast. I'm, I know that. <laughs> and that's okay. But I hope somehow, some way, he gets this message. Not from me, but from somebody. He means so much. He and his family mean so much to a lot of people. I hope he does not sell that and himself short by chasing a goal that he does not need. Because to so many people, before the Nets, 
and before whatever the hell ends up happening with this NFL, he was the guy. People look up to, people hold in high regard. He made it. And then he ended up for a brief stretch using his popularity and his success and his talent and was doing really, really good work. And that's not to say that he won't, that he's going to stop doing great, important, significant work. But man, you got to watch who you work with. Watch who you get in bed with, man. I hope he understands that. And I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope my gut instincts are wrong. Unfortunately, like Nye said, mm, I doubt it. Let me know what you guys think. Am I too hard on Jay? Or am I going too light? Should I not be extending this goodwill, the benefit of doubt, to Sean Carter? Should I not be willing to wait it out and see? Is the writing already on the wall? However you feel about this topic, and I know you all feel something, let me know. Hit me up via tweet. Quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. That's via Twitter. Or you can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. All right, guys, we're going to head to the hardwood for our second topic. This second quarter. I really feel awful for DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I was never a big fan of his game. I thought that he was one of the more overrated players in this league. And I felt this way for pretty much his entire career. A lot of people during his prime, I suppose you would call it, you know, thought that DeMarcus Cousins was the biggest, the best big man in the game and this, that, and the third. And, you know, this is not a quarter that I'm going to knock DeMarcus Cousins. In fact, this is a quarter in which I hope players, and I'm curious to see if this happens, if players will look at DeMarcus Cousins as a cautionary tale. You know, y'all know I'm in the D.C. area, and so much of NBA discussion in this area pertains to Bradley Bill and will Bradley Bill sign this contract and will he sign this $111 million extension when he can wait and get a max super max, whatever the case may be. And it's got me thinking, I don't know if Bradley Bill is the caliber of player. He probably is now at some point you reach a certain level where no matter how much or how injured you are, and no matter how much money you possibly could make, you'll still make it, right? We saw it this offseason with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant tore his Achilles, the worst injury that you can suffer as an NBA player. Tore his Achilles, still got a max contract from the Brooklyn Nets. Klay Thompson, tore his ACL, still got a max contract with the Golden State Warriors. Kristaps Porzingis is coming off an ACL injury. I don't think he's as good of a player as Bradley Bill. Um, he obviously has his potential is through the roof. And I love Chris Stops. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, but right now, he's not a better player than Bradley Bill. But yet the Dallas Mavericks gave him a max contract. So, yeah, Bill is of the caliber of player to where you can get hurt and you will still get a lot of money. But it's frustrating watching Boogie because at one point I would have thought that DeMarcus Cousins was that caliber of player as well. And now this is three years in a row where he's hurt himself in a significant way in a year in which he was going to play for a large check. Remember, 
he tore his Achilles in New Orleans in his contract year. And I feel for him, man. Again, someone who was not a fan of his game, I felt for him. Because there was a lot of money, money that probably will never come back to him that was injured in that year. Because he played, he bet on himself. We hear it all the time in sports. Bet on yourself. It's easy to say. It's real easy to say to bet on yourself. But look at DeMarcus Cousins. Look at him and look at this man, John Wall. John Wall, the first time, now to be fair, John got a Supermax contract um, and he got it offered to him. DeMarcus Cousins got traded. So it's a different dynamic, different perspective, but similar. Look at John, look at Boogie. Both of them. Tore Achilles. Both of them have had injury issues after injury issues when it should be their prime of their careers. Both of them haven't had a full season of play in, in a while. But John has the security of he's financially taken care of. He signed a Supermax. And a lot of people talk about that being the worst contract in the league. I'm not even here to debate that. That's not the point. The point is. DeMarcus Cousins is a beloved figure within NBA circles. He is a popular guy in that fraternity. He truly is. And he has the respect of all of the top players in this league. And I just wonder, when you see what is happening to DeMarcus Cousins, because the big paydays in his future are done. You got torn Achilles, torn quad now, torn ACL in less than, what, in three years or so? It's back to back to back. And again, I was never the biggest fan of him, of his game. His perceived value was through the roof. People thought he was the best big man in the league. I don't know if anybody's ever going to say that about him again. And I don't know if anybody's going to even think twice about breaking the bank to give him on their roster. I don't. I think those days are over. So will other players start looking at what has happened to the Marcus Cousins and use it as a cautionary tale? Because we we crack jokes, right? See, Dan McCullum. He signs up. He's like, yo, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to sign my extension right now. Like, oh, man, he must he must know something. He's not better than Bradley Bill. And again, I'm not here to make this about who's better. That's not what this quarter is about. But there is something to be said about security. Because the Marcus Cousins should be getting the piece of that pie right now. This huge payday that's going out to every NBA player where DeMarcus Cousins can't get more than a one-year deal. Two off-seasons in a row now, one-year deal. And I don't know if he gets more than a one-year deal next year. And that's the sad thing. I don't have to be a fan to look at somebody like, dog, I want you to get paid, bro. Like, no matter who you are in athletics, I watch the games because of the athletes. I'm not, someone, I'm not one of these people who watch because of the name on the front of the jersey. I've said this in the past. Nah, man. You can't just put it on any old body. When, when they were striking in the NFL in the 80s, I don't, even, I don't even know how old I would have been. But I wasn't watching football at that point. But when they were striking and they had the replacements players, had I been old enough, I wouldn't have watched that shit. I'm not trying to watch Bama's just play. I don't want to see Bama's ball. I don't care what... Ask me how many times I've seen the Knicks play in the last five years, right? When the Knicks were good, watched all of them. When they're not good, unless they've got young players who I want to see develop, 
I don't watch them Bama's. And I got no problem saying it. I don't want to watch people play. I want to watch people ball. That's me. So whether I like you or not, whether I appreciate your game or not, doesn't matter. You drive me to the television screen. You drive me to the box office. You drive me to the seats. I want you to get paid. And I'm looking at the Marcus Cousins fall on these, this string of bad luck, and I feel for him. I truly do. Because you know the days of his earning potential. He can't maximize his earning potential anymore. And that is a shame. And I would have thought that the league viewed him as one of these players that have reached a certain level. But if DeMarcus Cousins, someone who's made multiple All-NBA teams in his past, if he can't get guaranteed contracts and multi-year deals, then maybe I'm wrong with some of these other players. Maybe I'm wrong about how I think Bradley Bill's already reached that level. Maybe he hasn't. I'm not saying he has or hasn't. This is not what I'm saying. This is not the point of this quarter. The point of this quarter is, let's say he hasn't. Or let's just say he does not know. If you're Bradley Bill and you see what is playing out with DeMarcus Cousins, does that give you pause? Does that make you think a little bit harder about not signing an extension? It's easy to say, hey, wait another year. It's easy to say that. Bradley, Bradley Bill about to be a father of two. <laughs> he has multiple mouths to feed, multiple uh, people that he has to think about before thinking about himself financially. It's interesting the things that you will do when you have responsibilities greater than you, when you have people relying on you. It's easy to say, oh man, just wait. God forbid something happened to Bradley Bill. Y'all know his coach, Scott Brooks, act like like Bradley Bill can't be hurt, like he's Achilles. He like Brad Scott Brooks acts like he Bradley Bill's Achilles, but got completely dunked in the water. So there is no Achilles heel, all of them. And the issue is, right? Nobody is invincible. Nobody. And when you see one of the leagues biggest and best and most popular players enduring this for two years in a row, knowing that his prime days of making the most and the maximum amount of money are behind him when your teammate, right? Imagine if John was a free, imagine if John never signed the Supermax. He would have been a free agent this offseason. How much money you think John would have got? I don't know if this is how other guys in the NBA think, but this is how I would think. I would truly start considering if I had an offer on the deals, like, yo, it's a hundred million dollars. <laughs> it ain't chump change, bro. That's life changing money. You have a hundred million dollars. And after these, however many years, you're still going to get paid again. We all say, oh man, it's smart to build a weight. But it comes at a risk. And we can't pretend like that risk isn't real because it's significant. Maybe Bradley Bill is among the Kevin Durant's and the Clay Thompson's. Maybe he is. Or maybe he's a DeMarcus Cousins. I don't know which one he is. I don't know 
how the NBA views him. I, if I had to guess, I would still think that he would get paid no matter the injury that he would suffer this year. But I would have thought that about DeMarcus Cousins, and I'm sure Boogie would have thought that too. Just fool for thought, man. I'm interested because I feel for Boogie. I feel for DeMarcus Cousins. It sucks. It truly does. And I can't think that I'm the only person who feels that way. But if you can empathize with DeMarcus Cousins in his situation, if you have the chance to avoid it, I'm guessing you'd at least think about it. All right, guys, that's the horn. That means it's halftime this week. Again, make sure if you have anything you want to hear from me, you want to hear me talk about DeMarcus Cousins or Bradley Beal, you want to hear me talk about boxing, Floyd Mayweather Jr. apparently is going to fight Manny Pacquiao. Good God, why? Anything. Or you want to hear me talk about Jay-Z some more. You think I'm wrong. Whatever the case may be, hit me up, man. You can drive this show. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, QuarterlyReport, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report at gmail.com. All right, y'all, this weekend, it was uh, uh, an amazing event, something that the historians will write down. I was glued to my seat watching Major League Baseball. That's right. It's not that I lost the remote. It's not that I was being tortured. No, I voluntarily was watching a streaming broadcast of a Chicago White Sox game. I don't even remember who they were playing. It doesn't matter because I did not care about the game. No. I watched the baseball game on my computer because of one man, the legend, the icon, Bill Walton. Yes, Bill Walton, somebody in the NBC Sports Chicago broadcast booth or powers that be had the idea that I have been talking about for a year. Put Bill Walton on everything. (laughs) Bill Walton makes everything better. There are not many things. Bill Walton is chocolate. Bill Walton is cheese. Bill Walton, if you put him on something, he makes it better. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter what it is. Give me Bill Walton and you will enjoy it. I watched baseball and I don't know who won the game. I don't know the score. It didn't matter. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. And I'm thinking, let's not stop with baseball. No. I'm trying to figure out how I can implement Bill Walton into your nightly news. (laughs) But if you missed it, or if you are having a hard time imagining how Bill Walton can enhance everyday aspects of your life, well, my friends, you're in luck. Yes, you are, because I am here. Halftime is here to serve you and that need. How can Bill Walton make your life better? Glad you asked. Check it out. Hey, what's up, bro? Excuse me. You got chains for a dollar? I love timelessness. You're timeless. Well, the I've, one been, thing I've... I've been dead for quite a few years. Oh, what? What the fuck? Oh, what's going on, man? Nice meeting you. My name is Armand. What's your name? I'm Bill, and this is my great friend, the true giant among us, a brilliant genius, one who's able to create beauty. Beauty out of darkness. And your name? Yo, did you see that dunk? Slim. Yo, he got up there, Joe. Can you imagine being able to jump that high? I tell you. Yeah. 
I'm not a very good catcher. I'm much better at getting high than getting low. Maui Jim. There's nothing like Maui Jim. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I think you dropped something. Here you go. You're a good-looking dude. Uh, what? Through that prison. Yeah. Whoa, I love prisons. <laughs> One of the dope things about doing this podcast is the people that I get to meet along the way. Uh, I've met some really super dope people um, since I've started doing this podcast. A lot of them I would not have met had it not be for this podcast. And some of these people are like really, really dope, really, really interesting. And they come up with really fascinating topics. And I'm sitting back last week or a few weeks ago, actually. And two friends of the program, Mike Sykes and Troy Halliburton, are having a, a really fascinating, uh, interesting conversation on Twitter, at least in my eyes, about Netflix. And let me catch you guys up to some of this stuff. Netflix, if you don't know, they've been on the ropes. And Disney Plus is circling, you know, they, they the marketplace is getting tight. And Disney Plus, they come in on the block and they trying to move, they trying to move product and get the competition out of here. And Mike was saying how, yo, it could be, it could be some tough times for Netflix. Not saying that they out of there, like cancel for real is over for them. But it's, it's, it looks like there's going to be some rough times for the, the, the media, the DSP, right? The digital streaming platform. And what Troy, I believe was trying to say is like, yo, they're going to be okay. It's going to be tough for them, but they are such a, they already own and possess a significant presence in our day-to-day life. They'll be okay. I don't know necessarily where I fall on that spectrum. I, I don't want to say that I want, to, I want to cop out and be like, I'm somewhere in the middle. I do think that Netflix's days as the number one streaming site, those days are numbered. And I do probably feel that at some point Netflix will be bought out. Not saying it's going to be in the next two years or so, but I, I feel like within the next 10 years, the Netflix is going to be, they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. They're going to go extent because somebody will buy them out because it's a numbers game. And I don't know how long Netflix can survive this way. And it's interesting that we have come to this. It's almost full circle because if you're a certain age, I'm 36. So if you're my age, a little bit younger or older, you remember the joys of going to Blockbuster or Hollywood video to rent a movie. Going to the movie spot was like the, the renter movie. That was my joint Friday nights as a kid, man. My pops would take me. You know, I get a movie or two. Oftentimes, I go to the wrestling tapes uh, section, and you get all these old WWF pay-per-view tapes. That, that was my thing, bro. I used to love going to Blockbuster. Used to love it. Get the popcorn, get the candy. Back then, they would have video games you could rent the whole nine. My first job working at Hollywood Video, bong. And then just like that, Netflix changed the game. And everybody, it's weird, man, because everybody wants to change the game, right? Everybody wants to be the pivot point. Everybody wants to be first. And in many ways, being first is really important. You're running a race. You want to come in first. Of course, you want to win. You want to get the medal. Of course, right? If you're competing if you're in the, the news industry and you're trying and you're in a very competitive marketplace, you want to be the first the first person to break a story. You break a story, you break enough of them, people start turning to you. You can monetize that. Your rep grows. 
being first is really important oftentimes. It is. However, there are some drawbacks of being first because when you are the first to come up with a great idea, or at least you are the first to get on with a great idea, guess what? You become a target. Netflix killed the game. The rent movies, that whole thing is over. <laughs> like, bro, I remember when DVDs started popping up and they were like, oh, DVDs changed the game. There are no more tapes. And they were right. And then just like that, it was Blu-ray and Blu-ray. Oh, my God. The video quality, the audio quality. quality. Oh, my God. It's so amazing. So dynamic. Ah. That shit was over before you knew it. Remember Blu-rays? Blu-rays was supposed to be the thing. That shit lasted for five months. And then Netflix was like, man, fuck all this shit. <laughs> all of that is dead. Streamy. You feel me? I remember Netflix when you actually had to go online and and like rank the things you wanted to see. Hey, all right, man, I got three DVDs coming to me this month, so I want to see this one. I want to see Gladiator's always going to be top of the queue, and uh, let me get uh, whatever, whatever. And then they were like, yeah, you know what? That's that's dumb. Watch all of this stuff on your computer. Watch them on your phones. Watch it on your TV. It doesn't matter your tablet, whatever. Watch me whenever you want. How is a VHS going to compete? How is a Blu-ray disc going to compete with that? Netflix was the one. They were the first. And they had a run where they were the only suppliers. We all junk fiends on the corner waiting Netflix. Hey, man, scratching, itching, doing the, doing the dance. And they had a run where they were the only ones for so long. This is just stream, right? Whatever, Netflix. Everybody, Netflix, this is... This is how you know Netflix was on. Every I don't know 30 people who have their own Netflix account. It's like we all share. So it's like six degrees of separation, right? How many friends do you know who have their own Netflix account? Because I know a lot of the Bamas share somebody joints. And Netflix knows Bamas were sharing it. But they didn't care because they dominated the marketplace. And everything was lovely. Everything was good. Everything was beautiful for Netflix, but they were the first. And then people just kind of sat back and said, hold on now. Netflix could do it. Why am I not doing it? Why can't I? So Amazon and Hulu and all. And then, you know, the, it was still, right? Not really a competitive market marketplace. Netflix was still king of the king of the sea. All right, man, y'all can have that little, them little islands over there. I ain't tripping. You just got to come through me. And oh, Netflix, hey, we got this. We got that. Oh, I have your little your little fun shows. We got we got all of this. Look at all of the properties that we own. Look at all of this. This mass number of just content. We just keep churning out content. Not even our content, other people's content, but they gotta come in and watch it. And then that's when Bama started paying attention. Like, hold on now. Netflix is paying how much to the office? To NBC Universal? And look at all the streams that the office still gets now. Look at all the streams that Parks and Recreation still gets now. Look at all the streams all these old shows gets. Hold on now. They're making money off of the office. NBC's looking around like, dog, we could be making more money off the office. I don't know if you paid attention, but there was a study like earlier this year that released like the most streamed 
the number one, like the ranking, the number, uh, the top streaming um, content on Netflix. And while Stranger Things was up there and some of their own uh, original content, like uh, Last Chance You, they were all up there. The number one thing was The Office. Number two was Parks and Rec. I think like Frasier was a, like all of these other entities were among the top streamed, you know, shows or movies, whatever the case on Netflix. So while everybody, so think about it. Netflix doesn't just stream TV shows, they stream movies. So now that Universal is teamed up with NBC. Oh, so if you got any Universal movies on there, as well as NBC shows. Okay, well, they're taking that away. You saw what happened with Marvel. Netflix had great shows. Daredevil, Jessica Jones. And Disney was like, hold on. No, 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 no. You can keep running those shows, but we're going to charge you way more than they're worth. Only because we don't want you to make money off of our content. So Netflix was like, no, nah, we're not going to do it. And this is how much of a flex Disney did. They're like, bet. We're not even going to keep these shows alive. We know how popular they are. Y'all Bama's are never going to see a Luke Cage show. Too bad. <laughs> we don't need it. We're going to give you a fucking Loki TV show. Think about that. The Punisher, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, extremely popular. And these motherfuckers was like, nah, we're not even going to bring them back to life. You are going to enjoy... What's the girl? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. I don't even remember her name. She got a show. She don't even got powers. She got a gun. She don't even have automatic. She got a hand dog. She got a pistol and she's dead. <laughs> Did you talk about flexing? Disney was like, nah, Slim. I know y'all want Jessica Jones. It's over. Here, take Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Nobody is asking for that shit. But this is where Disney has it. Disney has their own content. And they've got a hell of a lot of content. I was reading something earlier this week where Toy Story 4 is the fifth Disney movie this year to cross a billion dollars. And think about it. They've got more coming. I don't know if Lion King has crossed it yet, but it will. And then Frozen 2 and fucking Star Wars haven't even come out yet. So we're looking at seven movies. I would love to know all of the movies to cross a billion dollar mark this year. I guarantee you more than half of them are Disney movies. And all of those things are going straight to Disney Plus. And not just the new Lion King and the new Aladdin. You ain't going to be able to watch those on Netflix. All of that stuff is going to Disney Plus. So they've got so much content that's their own. Because this is the problem with Netflix. They have to pay NBC for the office. And guess what, guys? I don't know if it's at the end of this year or the end of 2020. The office's days on Netflix are numbered. And they lose that. Their number one entity, the most streamed thing on their site, is about to go. And then uh, some more of their top 10 shows, gone. They've already left the Marvel stuff. The Fox stuff is about to go. They are losing product. But get this. Disney came out and they're like, yo, Netflix is about to up their monthly charge. We will give you Disney Plus, Hulu, 
and ESPN Plus for $6.99. So not only does Disney have the content that you want, they also got it for cheap. You don't have to be Pablo Escobar to understand how long or how much of a problem that presents for Netflix. You do the long game. At some point, the numbers catch up to Netflix because reading Forbes a few months ago, they were saying for Netflix to survive, they've got to have like, they got to start charging $18, $19 to just get back in the green because again, they're paying all of these networks and all of these um, studios for their content and then their own original content, they have to take out so many loans to pay it because they've got this big high brow. They've got this idea that we've got to make these Hollywood style movies. And remember that Ben Affleck movie that came out on Netflix earlier this year? I forget the name of it. It was one of the dopest uh, trailers I've ever seen. I didn't see the movie because it. everybody I know said it was all right. It won't really like that. But Netflix went all out. They go all out for Stranger Things. The House on Hunt, whatever that movie was. That was dope, that little series. They go all out on all this stuff. But they haven't hit yet. They hit with Stranger Things. They hit with uh, Last Chance You. But they've got way more misses than hits. So if you're Netflix, how do you survive? The marketplace is crowded. You are losing content. Your competitors have the best product and they're charging less than what you can charge to make a profit. How do you live like that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because free of charge, I'm going to volunteer this information to Netflix because I do think, again, I ultimately feel that Netflix will be bought out. But they can extend this as long as possibly as possible if they just figure out whatever niche they want to live in, right? Figure it out. Instead of taking out all these massive loans for these motion pictures, you better take a loan out for sports. Because again, since coming to news, I have realized one truth. In terms of live television, the only things that move the needle are news and sports, and not necessarily in that order. Whomever gets real live sports, and I'm not talking about one week or uh, some fake me out league, Get the NBA, get baseball, or get football. Whichever whichever entity, whichever digital streaming platform gets one of those three, particularly football or basketball, game changer. So don't, don't take a loan out for Ben Affleck or Tom Cruise or Steve Carroll. Nah, save that bread up and make a splash. But one thing I will give Netflix credit for, and if I was running Netflix, this is one thing that I would invest heavily on. The the comedian landscape, the comedy specials. Netflix does a great job. We've all seen the preview. They got Morgan Freeman narrating Dave Chappelle walking in the desert. (laughs) You understand? I don't know how expensive that was just to see Dave Chappelle walk in the desert with some sunglasses. But you know it costs a lot of money. That is something that they could do. Corner that market. That's something that comedies, Comedy Central, bro, in the early 2000s, Comedy Central made a name, like kept themselves afloat with just the comedy specials. Comedy specials and then the roasts. Remember that? 
Comedy Central just stayed afloat. I remember Comedy Central in the 90s. They had The Man Show and Ben Stein's Money and all these other shows that I thought were kind of funny. And they were just like, man, F that. We are just going to run Comedy Special after Comedy Special. And it worked. Cheap to produce, especially, especially if you get them young. That's one thing that Netflix, I think, that they would be very wise to do. Right? Just, look, we're going to lose all these shows. Orange is the New Black, one of their most popular original content, right? Last season, bomb, it's over. I'm not saying don't don't have movies, don't have new shows. I'm not saying don't do that. But have a focus on comedy. You've seen the, I, I just talked about the Dave Chappelle special. And you know that's going to do the numbers. When they did Chris Rock, that did them numbers. You know, but it doesn't have to be the big names all the time. Find the new young, hungry comedian who's shaking things up, the next guy up, the next gal up. That's what Comedy Central did. Do the roasts. Roasts became like its own thing based off the strength of how popular they became on Comedy Central. And one thing that I feel Netflix has done, again, niche audiences, man. That Rudy Ray Moore doc or movie with Eddie Murphy, oh, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Those are the, again, a lot of guests, but you can tell that budget is not super high. That budget is one of the, it, that, that film looks like one of those low budget, but like just so many great names that the majority of that budget went to just casting, right? You can corner the market and stuff like that. I, I, rem- I, I remember Black Dynamite. You understand what I'm saying? Like, think about it. Think of the things that Netflix, if they just really wanted to hone in on these several different kind of um, fields and stop trying to be everything. Because again, and it's great for us as the consumer. We've got options now. It's not just Netflix. It's not just Hulu. It's not just Amazon. It's everything now. NBC will have one up soon. Disney Plus is about to be popping. Fox is about to have one. You name it. It's all coming. Ten years, I don't even know if there's going to be cable. I don't even know. We ain't watching cable anyway. For real. So have the vision, have the foresight, understand what you can do well. Doing these comedy movies and these comedy specials, that's not a lot of, it's not a lot of payment. Doesn't cost a lot to do, doesn't cost a lot to produce. It costs a lot when you're giving Dave Chappelle $100 million for three specials. But you don't have to do that for everybody. I mean, how many comedians are there right now that you got to spend that much on? It ain't that much. But there are a lot of comedians out there who want that quarter of a million dollar opportunity. Get them to give you four a year for a quarter of a million. You don't mean you don't think that there's gonna be some hungry young comic in Chicago or LA or Atlanta or New York or Toronto willing to jump at that. Netflix has to extend the game as long as they can because right now, the way they're going, oh, they they running a race. They're running a race off a cliff because again, they don't have the content anymore and it costs more and the marketplace is getting crowded and they still have the target on their back. That's a hell of a, there's a rack of obstacles to survive through Slim. I hope that they stay because again, the more options, the better it is 
for us, the consumer, more the better. And truth be told, there's a near, there's a place near and dear to my heart for Netflix because I am enamored with innovation. I love innovation. I love it. And the idea that there are not that many, there are not that many entities that exist, and especially today, where you can look at someone and like, man, you know what? They changed the game. Apple changed the game. How we, I'm on a podcast. The podcast, it comes from iPod. Apple changed how we listen to music, how we listen to radio, how we listen to talk shows. Everything changed the game. Uber, Lyft changed the game. I don't even remember last time I got in a taxi. Changed the game. And just like that, Netflix was part of it. And I appreciate that type of that type of innovation, that type of thinking, that type of creativity. I, I love that shit. So I'm pulling for Netflix. I want them to survive, but bro, what do we say in the first quarter? Let's call a thing a thing. You understand? Netflix is leaking in the ocean and the sharks are coming. They better figure something out. Because I tell you what, these damn Ben Affleck specials, that ain't it. If you think Netflix's days are numbered, or maybe you feel that they are going to survive no matter what they do, I want to hear from you. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com, QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. All right, guys. So I've been kind of all over the place to show, right? We've talked about music, Colin Kaepernick, NFL, DeMarcus Cousins, and Netflix. So where the hell am I going to go to finish up strong? Just got to wait and find out for our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. I don't know if you guys saw this article from over the weekend, but I was, it blew me away. You know, in the third quarter, we just talked about how innovation is something that I really enjoy. I, I get a kick out of people who can create something, who can see something um, that no one else can see. And it becomes such a useful tool in our ever-growing, ever-changing lives. I am a huge NBA junkie, as you guys surely know by now. And I'm reading this article from NBCSports.com from Tom Havistro. And in it, he's talking about how... You know, we've now come into this day of, you know, DNP rest where teams are resting their star players um, on certain nights, whether it's the, the league has done a really good job of eliminating four games in five nights. Um, there's still a few of those, but not nearly as much as they used to be. Um, but, you know, anytime a player is starting to get a lot of minutes, they need rest. Coaches, organizations are not um, they're not shameful at all. It's just sending out a player, and this particular piece highlights Greg Popovich going DNP old, and, and you know we've all are aware of this type of um, these type of examples that have happened. But Habistro highlights a man named VJ Shrava Shrava. I'm probably butchering that man's name. Apologies to VJ. I'm sure you're not listening, <laughs> but in it. He talks about how VJ has created a website called Fanshore. And in it, Fanshore basically, VJ is a former NASA engineer and he has used analytics data to 
kind of predict which players will be resting, which marquee players will rest and win. And I think that is just such an amazing idea because so many people have complained about, oh my God, I want I wanted my child to see LeBron, though you're not a Laker fan or a Cavaliers fan. You live in Milwaukee, but you want you waited all these days so your kid can see LeBron James face to face, right? And whatever. We all share different sensibilities. To me, that doesn't move me. You know what I mean? Like that's just that's just, that's just who I am, right? But be that as it may, there are fans of teams who they don't live in the city, will never live in the city, have no desire. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a Knicks fan. Get it perfectly, right? I'm a Knicks fan. But there's no team in Richmond. There's no team in Virginia. If there was one team in Virginia, I promise you, I would have liked that team growing up. But when you're from a, an area where there are no professional teams, it's a free pass. You understand what I'm saying? Trust me. I would not have liked the Knicks had I know. There's no reason to really like the Knicks. You understand what I'm saying? So I think it's completely different than when people like the Lakers who are from, you know. If, you, if you're from Orlando and you like the Lakers, I'm looking at you a little crazy. Unless you were born before, you know, the Magic were in Orlando. But even still, why the hell would you like the Lakers other than they win in Magic, right? I digress. I digress. What VJ has done is taken something that people have complained about. People have gone out of their way talking about how this is awful for the NBA and this, that, and the third, and yada, 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 and this, that. And he has applied his abilities, his sensibilities, and in a in a way that he can predict when players won't play. And has and he has done the noble thing. He is doing it for the fans. He's like, look, guys, I have an algorithm that can predict when I feel players or teams will sit out these players. So you don't have to spend tickets to see a team, to see a player that you really, really want to see and him not play. Right? A lot of people complain about that. Oh, little Billy really wanted to see LeBron, and you know, LeBron only comes here once a year, and we couldn't see him. Oh my God. Well, now VJ through Fanshore has an algorithm, like I said, that can tell you to the best of his abilities. Okay, December sixteenth, we don't view. We, it, it seems as if our our system, our metrics say that LeBron's not going to play this night, so you don't have to buy the ticket. And right there, boom! If we were to end the quarter there, bong, that's a super dope idea. Shout out to VJ. Shout out to Fanshore. Again, read the article. I, I couldn't recommend it more. But being the man that I am, I'm like, hold on, Slim. <laughs> Dog, you are sitting on a gold mine, and it has nothing to do with the fans. We are now in a, gamb a sports gambling era where any and all information will be vital for bookies and people who are trying to beat the book. That stuff that VJ has, oh, you better get on it if you really want to know that. And if he's successful, if he is accurate, if his data, right, and his predictions are accurate, oh, you ain't gonna see, you ain't gonna see Fanshore again. <laughs> Let BJ be right. I'm trying to put y'all on game because if he is, and y'all are making bets because of the information, because look, 
If you know LeBron James is not going to play December 16th in Milwaukee, why on earth would you ever bet on the Lakers? Look at the spread, the point totals, the whole nine. You know what time it is. If he's right, and if he is right, those Vegas books will shut that shit down. They will give him a paycheck, and you will not hear the end. VJ ain't never walking in NASA's doors again. <laughs> you understand? And this is something that I am constantly amazed at because now that sports gambling is so in the mainstream, there are television shows, NBC Sports Washington, shout out to them. They have on certain nights, they'll split the screen up and they'll show you point totals and over-unders. They have, the league has embraced, we as a society have just embraced sports gambling. And I'm not here to say it's a bad or, or a good or bad thing, whatever. If you're responsible, right? If you can handle it and you know what you're getting yourself into, you, if you're not hurting anyone, go ahead, man. Enjoy yourself. It's your money. Enjoy yourself, right? I told y'all a few weeks ago, man, I am completely liberal when it comes to social issues. As long as you're not hurting anyone and hurting yourself, go for it. But why to stop with that type of information? Because that is the idea that someone has taken the time to, to, to develop the spreadsheet and to develop the information and to feel confident enough to predict when players may or may not rest. It then gets me thinking, you know, hold on. Think about all the other fan-made databases that exist. And I'm just talking about the NBA. We could go with any sport. But just particularly when it comes to the NBA now in this sports gambling era. Think of think of the, the gold mine some people are sitting on. I have always questioned. Because nowadays, you there's information on everything. Information on everything. Fans just sit at home and they have their spreadsheet and they, smart people, people with a lot of time, people who have, are fanatic in their interests. And I've always wondered, yo, why isn't there a database or a widely accepted database that just monitors officials? If I know the tendencies of certain, of every official, and when they announce the crews for a, spe a specific game, I will then be able to low the trends of the, the lead official and on the two other officials and their habits. Because you can't tell me that refs don't have bias. One of the great, one of the great mysteries for me in terms of sports is how the NBA survived the Tim Donahue scandal. Because the NBA, every year people think that the NBA is fixed. And a ref, a legit NBA ref, who refed a, a series that was extremely questionable, gave it all up. It was like, yo, we all like this. Not everybody to, to the level that I'm on, but people will be like, yo, if AI said this to me, I'm giving them a tech. Just off the rip. I'm surprised the moment that came out, somebody didn't start following and tracking every single NBA official and create a database. Because guess what? That would also be a gold mine. Can you imagine if you had a database that tracked every NBA official? How many times do they call offensive fouls a game? How many times do they call offensive fouls on Rudy Gobert? How many times do they call travel against James Harden? How many times do they how many times do they foul out Demarcus Cousins? Just endless amounts of data. If you were to possess that, imagine how much that would be worth. Because again, point spreads, how many times do they call a foul when the game is close or three points or less under a minute? 
All of this stuff could be, you know, aggregated and found out. And again, you can make it as detailed and as specific as you want or as, you know, wide and broad as you need it to be. But again, we live in a, one of my favorite websites is Box Square Geeks. And they have tracked wins produced per 48 and other detailed and other win when produced statistics for every NBA player for since I want to say the 70s since uh, 79 I want to say so don't tell me people don't have the time to do this type of stuff because they absolutely do they absolutely do and you can make so much money doing this shout out to VJ again I, I don't know how to say his last name and I don't want to butcher it because you know I think he uncovered an amazing idea and he didn't do it for the sake of trying to get over or trying to become a, a millionaire. Because damn it, that type of data could make you millions. He's a better man than me, boy, because I go straight to Vegas with that channel. <laughs> Hopefully you guys go straight to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to this podcast or any other podcast and leave a five-star review. Tell me, tell your friends, tell the world why you love the Quarterly Report podcast and why more people should be like you, man. Leave me five stars. Leave me a review, man. I appreciate each and every one of you all. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We will be right back here next Tuesday with another episode of the Quarterly Report. <laughs>